Hello and welcome to UX Like Us, the podcast for user experience designers, researchers, strategists, and canine companions. <laughs> I'm your user experience canine companion, Roman Burkut. Joining me today is Larry King. Larry, how's it going? Um, the rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. I am so grateful to to hear that, if not a bit saddened by uh, the other Larry King's passing. Uh, yeah, I was at the Home Depot the other day um, buying some salt for the wonderful weather that we get in in, in the Northeast here. And um, uh, the, the checker, she was a very nice young lady and she know saw my credit card and uh she was she told me to rest in peace as i as i walked out of the the store so <laughs> glad to see home depot still hiring the best and brightest <laughs> <laughs> now i imagine you've had to deal with that your entire life huh um yes my entire life you could have dealt with that for two lifetimes based on how old he was <laughs> well, yeah and and i mean on top of that, I, I, you know, lived in the DC area for the last 20 years. And so every time I've made a restaurant reservation in the DC area, um, sometimes there's assumptions that those restaurants have, um, before I show up and then <laughs> they're often disappointed. But. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, does that ever pan out in your favor? Like you get a really swank table? Uh, no, because they, you can just see the visual disappointment in their face as you arrive and announce who you are. Well, you should have rocked the suspenders and you could at least be like, you know, yeah, well, you know, my dad's going to be pissed when he hears about this. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 Anyway. Nevertheless, uh, sad to lose an icon. Uh, rest in peace to Larry King, but long live Larry King. Wichita, Kansas. You're on the line. <laughs> So anyway, I got I got a puppy. That's right. A puppy. Yes. Our house now um has a puppy as a part of our family. Our we it took us um nearly a year to get our COVID puppy. Um <laughs> but we finally got one. Uh it, it is this a pandemic puppy or was this part of a long-term plan to begin with? Well, it was part of a long-term plan-ish. Um, we recently moved and um, last, last, uh, late last uh, year and one of the, uh, it wasn't a condition of the move, but it was something we just planned on doing um, with having more space and, and, and things like that. It was, we would get a dog um, and that would, that was sort of part of the deal. So uh, we finally were able to do that. Um, we, had a we were working with a breeder and got we have now have a nine week old German Shepherd puppy. Well, congratulations! Yes, and I'll tell you what that's a it's an experience. I've never been outside so many times in my life during the day. <laughs> right, and a new home uh, that especially you don't want to have uh, puppy problems in. <laughs> yes, the, in the snow. Yeah, yeah. And, and yes, it did. Uh, we had some nice freezing rain and 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 snow and wintering mix last night. So, um, he's he's discovering new weather. He he was born in North Carolina, so he hasn't really seen any really cold weather yet. So he's sort of enjoying that and eating ice and all kinds of stuff outside. So one of the things that when you, when you have a new puppy and you're trying to, you know, get them acclimated to your life and um, not destroying your stuff and doing their business in the proper places, you hear the word no even more than 
just having kids in the house. <laughs> right. The word no <laughs> comes out a lot now, like all the time. There's no, no, no. Um, but, you know, as you know, if you're a, sort of a, a you know, a, a dog owner or somebody who's been around dogs, like you can't just say no, you got to have the positive reinforcement too. Right. Um, you can't just tell them no all the time. And this is something I'm trying to, you know, teach the kids. It's like when he's chewing on the, the, the couch, you can't just tell him no. You have to give him something he can chew on and then praise him when he's chewing on the thing he's, he's supposed to be chewing on. So, um, yes, the redirection is critical. Yep. And the positive reinforcement is the, is the important part. So we're trying to teach the kids that cause we probably didn't, you know, actually do that so well as parents with them. So they don't understand the concept very well. Um, but so we're trying to at least correct that with the dog. So we have a dog that doesn't, um, you know, just eat our house and um, turn it into a sewer. You damn kids give that dog some positive reinforcement. <laughs> exactly. You know, telling the dogs no. Um, Roman, I think we were talking today about a topic that you brought up. Um, and it was around, you know, as designers, we all know the pain of having a boss change your design or even like you know anybody who's even outside of design having their boss like take a look at some work you did and you know it's you, everybody's heard of the swoop and poop management where the manager swoops in <laughs> it's all over everything and then flies away um it's sort of the same thing it's like you know it's like somebody comes in you do all this great this work that you did really good and then this person who's you know either management or maybe a couple of bosses above you comes in takes a look at what you did and like you know totally says this is bad. This is bad. This sucks. Change this, change this. This is how I would do it. All that stuff. And then they go away. May not have had any context about it. It may not have, you know, you know, wasn't a part of the team when the team was having discussion about it, or you were having discussion with the stakeholders or any of that stuff. And they just come in and totally boat lose it. Right. (laughs) I love that. We don't have to buffer that as maybe you've experienced this. If you're a designer, you have definitely definitely experienced. I would say this is not something that's limited to designers. Um, this happens. Also true. Uh, it's, it's something, you know, that happens all the time, but I, 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 I don't like being in that situation. Um, I don't like being on the, 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 you know, the wrong end of that. Do you? I don't like being on the receiving end of that, although Mm. that certainly comes with the territory. But I think what I wanted to explore was specifically the other side of that. So as a design manager, as a design lead, as a design director, VP, what have you, when is it appropriate to go in and, uh, I guess, call the shots on a design? When is it appropriate to override what the junior designer has done? Yeah, so what you're asking here is, when should you, as a manager, override your direct's design? Is that what you're trying to say? Well said. Um, I think I got an answer for that. All right. And I think that answer is never. Never? Never. So that's like that's the first thing that comes off the top of my head. We can explore this and see. Let's have the conversation and see if I'm still there once we get through the conversation. But my knee-jerk reaction on this question is you don't. All right. Well, then let's dig into it. So I think the context is set pretty well, but let's uh, maybe imagine a scenario. Um, I, I think this is uh, relevant really throughout your career as a design leader. 
but especially as a new design manager for the first time, you're going to find yourself on the other side of the fence, so to speak, where instead of being the designer whose design is getting manhandled, <laughs> um, now you're the one who it's up to you to decide whether to go with what your designer came up with or make changes. My response to that is, if you are having to say no to a designer um, and, and, and override the design that they did, you have failed as a leader to create the proper environment for good design to emerge. So essentially, your position is that uh, we should have worked out the problems before we got to a quote unquote design review where a decision is being made. Absolutely. I'm, I'm saying that's like we you have not built the right culture in the company for a designer Ooh. to be empowered to get the information that they need to make good design decisions or have the guardrails in place to make those right design decisions or have the culture of the teams in place where we have collaboration and trust in a way that they can, you know, um, have those design decisions emerge out of that cross-functional um, situation. In an, and um, we've not, that also means that you've not like, you know, figured out really what you know customer outcome that you're, trying to, to, to achieve. So all these things that if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, all these things that we've been talking about where, you know, setting up the, the environment for um, designers to do the best work of their career hasn't been done, done because you haven't done, you haven't as a leader been able to, you know, create that environment first. Um, so I would say that it's, that's your, it's a leadership problem rather than the designer um, uh, coming up with the wrong thing. So I, I like where you're going with that in terms of, of framing it as good design is the outcome of good process and good culture and kind of setting the stage properly along the way. Um, a good process will help elicit the right requirements, the hard requirements that can't be changed. Um, a good process will help us to articulate what are some of the um, even you know aesthetic uh, qualities that should be present in a successful design. Um, it should be research driven, so we'll have some idea of uh, how our customers or users are going to react to what is put in front of them well before a high fidelity design has ever been you know produced. What I would ask is. What about when the design sucks? <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> so, um, what about when the design sucks? Um, like again, I, again, as as a design leader, that if if you get to the point where you have somebody that says, "Hey, this is the design I'm delivering, and it sucks," um, again, I think that's your a failure to create that environment where the the right design emerges. Um, but um, I think. You don't tell the designer that um, this is this is sucks and this is no good and we're going to do it this way. Instead of telling, I think you change the frame and change your mindset into asking questions, right? Um, instead of like saying, nope, that doesn't work because of X, Y, and Z, you 
turn that around and say, okay, this is what you have. Tell me about how you got to here and what problem you're solving. And tell me how you think this particular design solves that problem. Right. And so mm-hmm. instead, you know, it's really going back to classic critique, you know, technique, right. Instead of mm-hmm. just giving out your opinions about what's good and bad about things, you have the designer tell the, tell you, you know, what it is that they're presenting, what part of the process they're in, in this, you know, um, in, in this design, what problems they're trying to solve and, and explain how the design solved those problems. And when you change the frame there, that forces the designer to either, you know, make the case that this is the design that does, that is the thing that, that, um, that needs to solve those problems, or you have that designer discover for themselves why that design doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Even as long as I've been in this business, it's only really in the last few years that it's become, I guess, crystallized in my mind that there's a difference between a design review and a critique. You know, having a, a high trust design critique that would generally be considered more internal to the team. It would be um, kind of the the modern or, you know, the digital equivalent of, um, you know, walking through the studio, you know, when the boss walks through the studio and the work is on the walls and it's in progress. So it wasn't necessarily, you know, prepared for a presentation. You're just seeing the design in progress and, and maybe discussing where are you going with this and what inspired you there and, you know, what informed these decisions. Because during that that kind of critique phase, that uh, kind of raw in-process phase, that's a, a great time to take feedback and to iterate and to try multiple options. Um, when you get to the design review with your VPs and your engineers, um, now it's a high-stakes meeting where we're basically just trying to say, is this approved to ship? Or really, is this approved to build to ship? Mm-hmm. Um, Rather than being a, a an in progress work, it's a finished work that's just kind of trying to check the boxes. So I think that could be a, a helpful distinction, and probably one that we don't, you know, haven't historically talked enough about uh, as a discipline. You have a design that goes out there that um, you know doesn't meet. We have, you know, a style guide or some sort of design system that says, hey, you know, we have these colors and this font and, you know, these visual standards that we have. And if it doesn't meet that and we're doing design review, we should have a standard where we can set and say, hey, these are the 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 um, these are the, the standard, you know, things that we have to meet to be able to deliver a design. But when it gets to the design review, what I see it end up happening instead is it turns into an opinion war. Right. Um, as opposed to, um, hey, this is this this is the problem we're trying to solve. Here's how we're trying to solve that problem. Here are the outcomes that we think we're going to get with customers. And this where um, when you have that sort of framework that allows you to sort of bypass some of those um, those opinion wars when you have, you know, because it's like, hey, this is what we do is design. Right. Um, and then when you get to that point, it's like now we've got all this, all this formality. We have all of this, you know, designer goodness that is, you know, agreed upon by the organization. 
that eliminates that, oh, it's getting up to the VP level. Now that we have the swoop and poop going on, right? Um, <laughs> and and I, I think the, the reason that that swoop and poop has happened in the past is because we haven't had these things. We don't we don't we don't have the, these formal systems of 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 you know what we you know a, a defined thing of what good design is, right? And when you mm-hmm, don't have mm-hmm. that defined, you have people who you know aren't designers coming in and having a bunch of opinions, and then those are the things that get um, delivered instead. Right. That that's a a good perspective. The modern, you know, especially UX design process uh, includes so many good elements that we just didn't used to have that did lead to those, you know, opinion-based conversations, you know, um, is this the right color for this button? Well, nowadays it's just, hey, should this be the primary (laughs) call to action on the page? Yes. Okay, good. Then it should use the primary button style, whatever that is. And if we need to revisit that, we can have that conversation. But in the meantime, we know that this is the appropriate, you know, widget, if you will, for what we're trying to do here. Not too many years ago, that that didn't exist. We didn't really have that in such a formalized fashion where we could say, hey, this is just this is based on the design system. This is this has been designed collaboratively. This has been tested collaboratively, has been built collaboratively. So these, you know, these design elements are what they are. And, you know, this, the solution that we've come up with does conform to that. Yeah. I think there's a lot of tools in our toolbox that we didn't have before that are effective at, you know, squelching those, those opinion wars that tend to go on when we don't have those, um, we don't have those systems, those, those guardrails, those, um, you know, design principles, things like that, that we have all agreed upon. And, you know, that's one of those things that's, it's kind of sometimes hard to do in an organization is actually get consensus on the design principles and the heuristics and the, and, and all of that in the organization so that we can move faster. Um, a lot of that, a lot of people see that as, you know, overheads like, Oh, this isn't like delivering this feature. This isn't like getting, you know, customer value in the hand value into customers hands so it's not worthwhile endeavor it's a waste of time and we got this deadline to hit right but uh, i would argue that when you have these things in place you actually can move faster you don't have to decide what colored button this is going to be we don't have to decide what mm-hmm. our design principles to be we don't have to decide oh should we call this settings or configurations um so i think you know it actually helps when you take the time to do some of these things it helps design and it helps deliver products faster and actually get you know value into customers hands faster but you know as as we know sometimes uh speeding up looks like slowing down at first true true and it can be it can be scary to invite all these other stakeholders and opinion havers into these conversations but i guess really the the lesson there is that it's better to do it proactively when you're deciding on these systems and processes rather than at the end when you are at a design review before developers are picking it up tomorrow to start building, yep. you know, and, and then have this, you know, opinion driven conversation. Much better to have that proactive work done where we're all getting aligned. It's sometimes really hard to get some of these other you know, disciplines involved in those conversations because they don't immediately see the value of it. Right. 
Right. Um, right. You know, engineering has a very engineering uh, approach to things because they're engineers and that's, that, that's fine. Um, engineers have standards that they follow too. It's like, Hey, we're, we're going to have this set of standards. Like you have to, you know, work within these standards. Um, like for instance, you know, like here's a cloud platform that we're going to use. And because we're using this platform cloud platform, you have to write APIs in a certain way and, and all this, right. We can have analogies to, you know, how we do design to engineering. And then that can, you know, possibly, um, make, you know, that discipline understand, you know, where we're coming from, from a design point of view. That, uh, Good process can help. Uh, good tools, um, design ops, generally speaking, can help avoid this situation in the first place. So if you're doing your job as a design leader, you shouldn't really have to swoop and poop on uh, your junior designer's designs because the the process itself has helped us avoid getting to the point where um, there's a deliverable that I have to now come in and say, nope, we're not doing that. Yep. Uh, I'm curious, though, uh, what are your thoughts regarding uh, the talent issue, right? So this kind of assumes that you have a designer who is capable of executing um, with all that good process and good inputs and good research and <laughs> good tools. Well, yeah, absolutely. You need to have the right designer in the right role and position doing the right work that is matched to their abilities. Um, and if you hire well, then you've already solved that problem. Right. Um, you know, instead of just like, Oh, we need a designer who can make wireframes. Oh, let's put them on this team. Um, no, we have a team that I need somebody who's done this thing in the past or has shown, um, aptitude for doing a, a set of different, um, you know, interact, maybe they're an interaction designer that is really good at prototyping and can incorporate research into, you know, that, you know, their work. Right. And that's the, what we need for this particular role. And you found somebody who's done that in the past or shows aptitude for that. And, you know, you've hired for that role and you, the, the, you have those capabilities, but if you have, um, somebody who's doing UX design and, um, you need somebody who needs a lead a research practice, then <laughs> you, you can't have somebody just like start to lead a research practice without any, you know, any, any experience doing that. Right. What are having, you know, mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's, it's hiring for the right position for the right thing at the right time is, is really, really important. And if you're putting a junior designer in a situation where they have to defend things to a VP all the time, then you're probably just setting that person up for failure. Mm -hmm. Good point. Of course, uh, what you're saying there takes it from the aspect of of hiring people to staff your team. Uh, from what I've observed, most design leaders inherit a team rather than hire or build one. Uh, yes, that can also be challenging. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. Uh, <laughs> But I think an another part of that is, and especially when it comes to um, situations where you have junior designers, is making sure, you know, we, t we hear people talking about, you know, making safe places for people to fail. And I, mm -hmm. I actually really, uh, I'm a big believer in that. Like, you know, people need to be able to, you know, feel comfortable putting themselves out there, you know, and, and, and sometimes failing on things, right? Um, but you don't want that to be the situation with somebody who's working on some sort of valve on uh, a rocket that's going to 
you know, carry people to <laughs> into space right, right. and possibly explode, right? You you don't want <laughs> failure to happen in that situation. And you don't certainly don't want to put um somebody in a position where a failure that they they have is going to have some huge impact to customers or huge impact to them, you know, your business or anything like that. Um, failure is great when it happens in the right place. Um, failure is right. bad when it happens in the wrong place. And so setting up the culture and practice in a way where you can have these, these safe spaces to put yourself out there and experiment um, and get the proper feedback um, early and get the proper information early, then, you know, then you've got a, a, a more, um, you know, a healthier spot for people to be able to put themselves out there and experiment. Yeah, it reminds me of a, a another thing that uh, I know we've employed on teams working together, and I've also done elsewhere. Where um, having certain, um, I guess, creative side projects or kind of you know lower stakes items, like you're talking about, that create opportunities for designers to try out new techniques, new tools, new approaches even for that matter, just give them the opportunity to have creative control. Like, oh, you're, you know, you're doing a poster for a hackathon. It doesn't have to be stellar. Go crazy. Have fun. Oh, it's off brand. So what? You know, it's, you know, it's, it's a poster that's going to hang up for a couple of weeks in the office. Right. Um, it, it seems like that can be a, a good way to help people kind of develop their skill set in a lower stakes setting um, where it's not, you know, oh, this has got to be production ready and it's got to align to the sprint schedule because, you know, if it's not ready on time, now you've committed the unpardonable sin of <laughs> making developers wait for you. All right. So, uh, your your answer of never right i admire your gumption um and we've talked about how good process and and tools and all that can can help avoid the situation mm -hmm. but let's get to the you know the bottom line your uh you're in a design review that for whatever crazy reason you haven't seen the designs and they go up and they're not up to snuff. What do you do? Shoot the hostage. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going to say in that situation, um, you, the only time that you ever override your direct's design is when you are ready to admit failure on your part as a, as a, as a leader to set up the right, um, circumstances and, um, uh, uh, environment to be able to get them get to the right decision. Right. So, um, if they've gotten to the design review, like where you've, you've, you've made this distinction between design review and design critique, and they've gotten all the way through to a design review, um, where it's like, Hey, this is like with VPs and stakeholders and stuff. Um, and it's going to, they're, you're basically leading them to slaughter. Um, then yeah, you can maybe say no, but, um, you just realize that you sort of failed as a, as a, as a leader to mm -hmm. get them to the point where um, they can be a success in that situation. Like, like you should never be blindsided by something like that. And if you're being blindsided, like something like that, then you know, it's like you're, there's something wrong with, with you. 
the person saying no. I kind of liked your uh, your rocket analogy because um, there's you know there's issues of safety, of liability, of compliance, of uh, you know even really customer satisfaction. It's important um, where it's it's not safe to fail, um, and then there's there's places where it is safe to fail. I mean, in a good in a good design process. You're going to be launching designs that, while being, uh, you know, research informed from the beginning, are still going to fail in product. They're still going to fail with your audience for whatever reason, reasons that you couldn't even anticipate. Um, but ideally, you're going to be launching products and features that it's it's safe to fail. Right, that you're you're never going to be pushing something out where you don't know. Um, gosh, if we if we push this out and it doesn't perform, you know, is it going to be the end of us? Like that that's not a good situation to be in. So I guess to some degree, as the as the design leader, then it becomes a matter of developing that that judgment to say, you know, is this a showstopper, or is this something that I I wish it was prettier or better or smoother, but, um, it's okay. Or for that matter, I'm willing to let this designer try something because they're, they're passionate about it and they believe in it. Um, and, and we have the ability ultimately to, you know, improve or, you know, worst case scenario, (laughs) roll back, uh, this design later. Um, but you do have to have a pretty strong sense of the, of judgment between which situation you're in. Is this just something that's going to annoy me because that's not to my taste or is this something that's, you know, potentially got some real consequences to my business? Sometimes it's actually how you're interacting with other, you know, stakeholders, whether it's engineering and, and product management. Cause, um, uh, I think if, if you get to that far and like you get, have some product manager coming down the hammer, then it's like, okay, why did we get that far with that product manager? And they, and and now they're only seeing this now and they're being the gatekeeper. So this might be a fun time to chat about, uh, horror stories. I imagine oh, you've God. got one or two. Um, I had a boss at one point who would regularly accept designs from the team and then work late into the night, changing them before the presentation the next day in order to, uh, you know, really just get that little bit extra polish or, or, you know, just whatever it was, whatever this particular manager was wanting to get out of it. This was just part of how they operated the team. Yeah. That sounds like a bad place to operate a team. My bad. Yeah. I (laughs) I think, you know, based on the discussion we're having, like if, if, if if that's something that happens, like oh you're on a deadline and you've you've got to fix it and all that, like okay maybe once, but you really do have to do some soul searching about what was wrong with your process that you couldn't just deliver the results that you wanted in in the first doggone place. Um, I, I suspect too that uh, in addition to process, there's probably also um, the dynamic of designers who become design leaders who haven't been trained to be design leaders. 
Um, and especially there, the, the reluctance to just have the difficult conversation of, you know, I, I appreciate what you're trying to do here, but this is not up to snuff. This is not going to pass muster. We've got to revisit this. We've got to change things. Um, you know, it, it's a lot easier <laughs> or it might seem easier to be friends with your team. Um, but ultimately as a leader, it is your, your responsibility to drive quality. And sometimes that means having an uncomfortable conversation. One of the hardest transitions from going from an individual contributor to a, a design leader is letting go. Um, and being able to, instead of pulling the, the big lever of, I can actually change this design that's in front of me to, you know, to, to, to meet whatever I think is the, the ideal for whatever I'm working on to the manager who has to pull a bunch of little levers that pushes that designer in the right direction to get to the, 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 the result. And it may not be the result that you would have thought or the, that you would have came up with, but yet it's still a good result. And it is the thing that is going to solve the, 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 the problem for the customer. That is the, one of the hardest transitions to do. And you have to like, just like figure out ways to divorce yourself from the actual design and make, and, and, and really focus in on, like I said, I, I sound like a broken record, how that person got to that point of, of that design and be able to figure out where levers I can pull along the way to put, steer them in the right direction rather than just coming in and, you know, put, taking my red marker and putting X's on everything. Yeah. Yeah. Another boss I had. <laughs> I think Another you just had boss. a string of bad bosses. It sounds like Roman. You know, I believe in learning everything the hard way. <laughs> I'm sorry that I was your boss late, earlier. So, you know, I apologize. <laughs> right. and, apologize. Post, you know. Right. You'll know when we get to your stories, Larry. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> oh God, I can't wait. <laughs> I had another boss who... Who would just, you know, uh, point at the screen for a while and say, maybe, maybe try this, maybe try that would eventually say, here, let me just, let me just hold the mouse for a minute. And ultimately like a couple of hours later, we'd be like, all right, we're going to go to lunch. Uh, we'll see you when we get back and you come back and, you know, he's still just banging away on your designs and uh, you know, uh, the, there is a, a, a breed of design boss who looks at the individual contributor as a mouse operator. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's also like, uh, product managers that also <laughs> have that same philosophy. <laughs> that's uh that's a very valid point. There's, I guess from all disciplines, we get the, uh, <laughs> Could could you operate the mouse in this particular fashion for me right now? <laughs> yeah, you can. That is not a design leader. That's an individual contributor that has gotten too much power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I I mean, actually, I think your your point is a valid one. Is that in the last really five to ten years, to some degree, but especially more recently, the field has matured, I guess, more widely. So I feel like there was a long time where UX was a, you know, a, a well understood craft at, you know, 
great design agencies and certain corporations and, you know, particular startups. Um, but, and then there was kind of the rest of us where even though the designers might be good and talented and all that, the company itself was just not ready for mature design. I frankly, a lot of those companies still exist and I've worked for most of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would say that is the, the rule rather than the exception. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it sounds like if you are the design leader who uh, is responsible for driving the quality of the deliverables from your team, uh, I think we both agree that it is not a desirable outcome for you to override or, you know, pull rank on what your team has created. Yes, absolutely. I think that if you are put yourself in the situation where you have to veto a design by somebody, you have set up a situation where you have, um, you've set up a situation for the, for your, for your um, direct report to fail. Um, and so that, that is on you to figure out where that breakdown happened and rectify that. Either it's you've, you know, uh, failed to, you know, give them the opportunity to get the right information they needed to make good design decisions. You haven't put in uh, 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 the culture of like, you know, making sure that you're solving real customer problems and defining those problems really well. You're not um, created a, um, a, a, a situation where people can, you know, get that direct research, that user research they need to do to make those good decisions that you haven't defined really good guardrails for visual design, interaction design, um, you know, uh, voice and tone and taxonomy and things like that. Um, and uh, that's sort of, you know, if, if you get those things and you haven't hired well, <laughs> you, you possibly haven't hired well and put somebody in the right situation um, that they, that matches their abilities and, 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 and that. Yeah. So, um, I, I'm going to keep going back to, if you have to say, if you had to veto somebody's design, then there's something that you've done as a design leader to, um, let that happen. And it's your job to figure out how you got there and how you're going to fix it. Great recap. And all I would add is that if you find yourself having to do that, um, certainly there's circumstances where you, you must, but recognize that it is a failure of leadership most likely a failure of your leadership. And like you're saying, you've got to go back and do some soul searching and look at your processes and figure out how you can fix that to where that's not happening in any kind of a, a regular fashion rather than just being the way you do it. Yes. Well, if you found this show useful, usable and desirable, Please share a quick review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews help people find the show, and we appreciate your help. And remember that UX Like Us is a podcast for you. Follow us on Twitter at UX Like Us and let us know what you'd like to hear on the show and what you're talking about in your practice. And I am not dead, Larry King, and I'm at LA King, and Roman is at Stuperman on Twitter. And thank you for listening. Yeah, I guess I should have clicked record.